Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I've been looking forward to this. You know, as we were worshiping, I, I, I just had this sense that there's a favorite verse in Psalms that uh, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And as, I, and as I was worshiping and thinking about how the Lord has just blessed me over the years and placing me in places and, and giving me opportunities to learn, um, I'm really grateful. And, and I hope you can relate in that way, too, to the Lord, because he knows what you need, uh, and he really wants to uh, bless your life. He wants to bless your life in many ways. So, again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk on this topic, uh, the return of Jesus. I've been encouraged in the last several years um, as my heart has been stirred to gain more insight and to look, look more seriously into the passages that we've been given uh, on the return of Jesus because uh, we want our hearts to grow closer to Jesus as we draw nearer to the end of the age of natural history. And I use that phrase, the end of the age of natural history, because there's a lot of popular ideas out there today in our culture that, quite frankly, most of which are unbiblical, that talk about the end of the world. And as Christians, we really have a different message for our unsaved friends. You know, the fact is, is that Jesus is returning to this earth. And I want to just emphasize this earth, okay? To establish his kingdom, to rule the nations from his throne in Jerusalem, and to restore and prepare the earth for the new Jerusalem and the eternal dwelling of God the Father. You know, our Bible teaches all of those things. And if any of those things strike you this morning, that's, that's good, because we need to get familiar with what the Bible is really teaching on, on the end of the age and the return of Jesus. You know, in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, uh, two angels met the men in Galilee as they were gazing up into the uh, heavens, and they asked them, he said, why are you standing there gazing up into the heavens? This man, this same man, is going to return in the same way that you saw him leave. And so that's the good news this morning. That's actually the greatest reality. That's a reality, okay? And it's the greatest hope that I can share with you, really, this morning. Um, you know, this topic seems to be taught not enough in our church in America today. I can't, I don't know what's being taught around the globe, but I know that in the Church of America, it just seems as though we're not reminded enough and we're not taught enough on all the scripture uh, that addresses this topic. And in fact, I believe Pastor Nicole mentioned last week, there's over 150 chapters uh, in the Bible that deal with the Lord's second coming. There's about 89 chapters in the gospel that deal with his first coming, but there's almost twice as many that deal with his second coming. And many of them have to deal with uh, prophetic words about the nation of Israel. Many of them uh, are very clear about what will be happening at the end of the age. A few weeks ago, I had a discussion with our son was visiting from Indiana, and he was telling me that their church had received a grant from the Lilly Foundation to interview young people in their community about their views on the church and on faith. 
And he was expressing some frustration because what they were finding was that among many young people, there was this sense that faith and church was sort of irrelevant. It wasn't a really relevant topic to them. And that stirred me. It really stirs me. And, and so like a good father, I decided I was going to tell him what he should tell them. That doesn't always go over. But I, but I said, Dallin, this is my suggestion. Tell them that there's a generation in which a man in a resurrected body is going to return to the earth and rule the nations, establish an eternal kingdom, and it could be their generation. That's relevant, okay? That's a relevant topic. That's not a fairy tale. We need to get our minds around that fact that the man Jesus in a resurrected body is coming back to this earth. So I really appreciate, again, uh, the emphasis that we have this month. You know, in fact, the return of Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the gospel. The cross secures that promise, but it's really the return of Jesus that fulfills the promises of what the gospel talk about. So just to reemphasize two of the main points that we heard last week, when we study these scriptures, it causes us to love Jesus more because it's all about him. And when we see him more clearly, we love him more. That's why uh, we study his word. And when we understand why he's doing what he says he'll do, our hearts are more confident and we're less prone to fall away. We're less prone to fall away and doubt him. You know, there's an acronym, and I just came across it yesterday, and it's F-O-L-D, FOLD. At the end of the age, when the tensions and the pressure rises against us, we don't want to fold, okay? Because there's gonna be a great increase in certain temptations at that time. Fold, F represents fear. At the end of the age, there's going to be fear because there are going to be things going on that many people won't understand. But those of us who are grounded on our faith will know what the Lord is doing. And, and we don't need to fear. We can be confident. And that's what we want to do. We want to grow in our faith so that we're confident of what the Scripture says will happen, will happen. O stands for offense. At the end of the age, one of the four major sins that Scripture highlights is that many people will take offense. And that offense is going to be taken at God. Because sometimes when we don't know what's going on and we're, we're concerned and, and, and we're looking for answers and we try to control things and we can't control things, our response can be that we take offense at God. God, you're not, you're not really here. You're not really answering what I want. That's a temptation that we need to avoid. And as we love Jesus more, we do. We're not as apt to take offense. And then L stands for lust. At the end of the age, there's going to be a great increase in immorality and drunkenness and carousing. And as we grow in our love for Jesus, we're protected. We're protected and delivered from, from that uh, from that sin. And then finally, D stands for deception. And Jesus was very clear about warning us 
that deception is going to be great at the end of the age. And um, we don't want to be deceived. We want to know what the truth is. We want to know the truth. So that was the first main point, that we love Jesus more when we study these scriptures. But the second point is that we grow, as we love Jesus more, we grow in our passion for the ministry and the purpose that he calls us to, okay? A phrase that our small group hears me say quite often is that lovers always outwork workers, okay? Lovers always outwork workers. So if you love Jesus more, whatever you love and whatever, whatever you love to do and whatever person you love, when you're doing something for them and when you're working for them, it really doesn't seem like work as much. It might be difficult, but you're doing it because you really want to. And that's the same way it is with our relationship with Jesus. If, if we love Jesus more, what he calls us to do comes, comes easily, easier, okay? It comes easier. If you knew the king of the universe was coming today and coming to your house, you'd prepare. And I don't think if you had the right perspective on who he is that you would think so much about the work that it takes or, or the effort that you're putting into it. So, so this morning, my assignment has been to just highlight a few of the signs um, of his return. Some of them are happening right now some of the things that we're, we're going to be looking forward to. So I want to start uh, by looking at three passages. Uh, the first one is in Matthew 24, uh, verses 3 to 15. I think we have it on our, we should have it on our overhead. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You'll be hated for all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So there's many things listed in that passage that could be frightening. If our confidence isn't, isn't clearly in the truth and in, what, in, in, in the Lord, passages like this disturb us. Maybe that's one reason we don't, we don't uh, really think about them much. The second passage is from Luke, Luke 21. And it says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let that day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on earth, on the earth. Keep alert at all times. Pray that you might be strong enough to escape those coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. I just, again, I want to draw your attention to that verse 34 
It says, watch out, okay? Don't let your hearts be dulled. Don't let them be dulled. And we know that when we live a life that's apart from the Lord and carousing and drunkenness and all of the other things that we can get involved in, that our heart becomes dull. It becomes dull towards a spiritual truth, okay? But I, but I, I want to emphasize, too, that there's a third thing that he points out in that verse. Don't let it be dulled by the worries of this life. And that's the one that I think we all struggle with. I, I know that myself, as I look back on my life, there's certain seasons that you go through and uh, troubles are happening and things aren't going the way you want. Be careful, okay? Because those things can dull our spirit, just like uh, living a, a wild life apart from the Lord can. But he knows what we need. He loves us. We ask him uh, for what he wants done in our life. And he is absolutely the faithful one. I, I, I say this all the time, that I could stand here for seven or eight hours and testify to how the Lord has answered prayer in my life, how he has directed me, how he's brought things from the small things to the big things. And he'll do that for your life uh, if you ask him to do it. And then the last scripture I want to read is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is Paul speaking to the Christians in Thessalonia. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. You won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you're all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. So we're reminded several times that we need to be watching, and watching just means to be alert, okay? It means to be attentive, to be observing what's going on. And as Christians, we know that that means to stay in tune with what the Lord's telling us, with what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life, with what Scripture says. You know, in the past, there are many times that um, there's been some who have misapplied signs relating to current events, you know, and they've gone as far as predicting a day or a date of the Lord's return. And Jesus was clear that we're not to do that. But at the same time, Jesus was also clear that we're to know the season that we're living in. And... Uh, you know, he was, he was pretty hard on the Pharisees for not recognizing the season of his coming to earth. You know, prophetic scriptures uh, told them what they should be expecting. And he said, look, you recognize the signs in the sky, but you didn't recognize who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. So in the same way, uh, the fig tree is ripe when you know the harvest is near. We, we need to be alert. We need to be, be watching. And so I want to encourage you to be as the Bereans, as the Bereans were. And you know, what, you know what they were? They were people that studied the Scripture, and every day they discussed what they read in the Scripture, and they wanted to make sure that it was right. So I'm encouraging this congregation to be as the Bereans were. Don't accept what I say this morning unless you can see it for yourself in Scripture. Don't accept what anyone says unless you can see it 
for yourself in Scripture. But I, but I do want to add this. When you study Scripture, do it with a humble heart, with a humble spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight. And he will. He'll, he'll direct your thoughts. He'll direct you. And he will. And, you know, we all go through growing phases and processes in our life. There's many things in, in my past, in my Christian life, that I was a little off on, okay? And I still am. There's, I'm learning every day, okay? But the Lord in his graciousness, as we ask him, he brings light. He brings light to his word, and he brings into our path understanding. So, so let's turn our attention just to uh, some of the signs that I, I want to uh, bring to your attention this morning. And if you're taking notes, I want to say that there's th three basic categories of signs, okay? There's events, sign events, and, it, and they are just what, they, just what it says. They're actual events predicted in Scripture that alert us to the timing of, of the Lord's return. Several of those. And I'm going to mention four or five of them this morning. They're sign trends, and trends are, are just trends in our culture, trends in the world. They're both negative and positive, and, and they... If we're alert, if we're watching, they can signal us that, you know what? This time is drawing, is drawing close. And then the third, third category is cosmic signs. Cosmic signs are signs in the sky. And maybe we haven't seen many of those yet. But again, Scripture is clear that as the end of the age draws closer, there's going to be signs in the sky that will be unmistakable, and we will know uh, that that time is getting close, okay? So there's a generation when all of these events and all of these signs are basically going to be happening simultaneously. And many of them are already happening simultaneously. Some, there's some that aren't yet, but many of them are, okay? So just to highlight a couple events, uh, one of the most striking events in our day, and I would say in the, it's been now 70, 80 years, okay, is the biblical prophecy that the Jewish people would return to their homeland in Israel. You know, uh, there are many Old Testament scriptures that refer to that. And I don't know if there's any m more prophetic sign that should catch our attention and, and uh, that we should take note of. You know, in AD 70, Titus, I believe he was the emperor of Rome, um, he basically uh, demolished Jerusalem. The Jews were scattered throughout the world. And for 1,900 years, there was no nation of Israel. The Jewish people were scattered throughout the nations. One of the scriptures that talks about their return is in Ezekiel uh, chapter 38, 8, and it says this. In the latter years, you, and this you is actually referring to the Antichrist at the end of the age, will come into the land of those, which is Israel, gathered from many people or nations on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. You know, in order for that passage to be fulfilled, there, there needed to be a nation of Israel. And no nation has ever been out of their homeland for more than 40 years. 
and then returned to uh, rebuild their nation using the same language. Uh, there's, it, it never has happened before in history. But here's Israel after being out of their homeland for over 1,900 years. And even though the Bible makes it clear over and over again that, this was, that the nation of Israel needed to be in existence for many of these end-time events to be fulfilled, uh, many Bible teachers during that time period began to um, conclude that because the nation wasn't in place, that everything relating to Israel must be symbolic. There's actually a theological term for that, and it's called replacement theology. That's a theology that says that as you read your Bible, where they're referring to Israel, it's really referring to the New Testament church. There was actually a time in my life that I, I, I thought that that was true. And fortunately, as I have grown in my understanding of what the scripture says, I don't believe that. I believe that the nation of Israel and the rise of the nation and the replacement of the nation of Israel in their homeland is a very, very significant event. We should, we should take notice of that. It's alerting us, really, that uh, God is moving in his timetable towards the end of the age. Isn't it just like God, though, that out of the horrors of World War II, there's some in here that may have been in World War II and, and, and lived through that time period, isn't just like God that out of the horrific event of World War II and the, and the attempted extermination of the Jewish people by Adolf Hitler, who was a type of Antichrist, and he had a final solution that I just learned about I learned more about it in the last couple of weeks. To exterminate 11 or 12 million Jews from the face of the earth. Isn't it just like God to take an event like that and turn it around and conform it to his end time plan? To say, no, that's not the way it's going to be. My plans will be completed. So out of the ashes on May 14th, 1948, just within a matter of months, the Jewish people were placed back in a homeland. And it was really an affirmation of the irrevocable Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham, that they would have a homeland, that their people would be there. So that's a terrific sign. We should all take notice of that. You know, and while Hitler was a type of antichrist, and you know what antichrist means? It just means a person who is against everything that the Lord Jesus Christ is for. It's against everything that God's plans and purposes are. Okay? There's another sign that will come as we approach the end of the age, okay? And it's another man who's actually going to be more cunning. He's going to be more deceptive. He's going to be much more charismatic, much more enticing. He will deceive many by negotiating a false peace treaty with Israel. And he's going to be bringing a message of peace and justice, okay? Because the world will be, there will be great tension in the world. And everyone wants peace. Everyone wants justice. 
But there is no peace and there is no justice apart from the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And uh, again, this man is going to be against everything that, that God is for. And the book of Revelation calls him a beast. He's going to be fully empowered by Satan. But you know, the interesting thing is, is that many people won't recognize him because they're not watching. They're not, they're not alert. It's not going to be like this guy has horns and a tail. This person is going to look very normal. He might even uh, look better than normal, okay? He's certainly going to be very charismatic and cunning. And so we need to be aware that that is a sign, uh, a very clear sign, as we approach the end of the age. A third one that might not be as familiar to us is the fact that Jerusalem is going to be the focus of the whole world. There's a scripture in Zechariah, uh, chapter 14, too, that says that all the nations will gather to battle against Jerusalem. Well, you know, in June of 1967, the nation of Israel, who had only been formed for 19 years, took back control of the city of Jerusalem. And, you know, for most of the last 2,000 years, no one really cared about Jerusalem. There might have been a, 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 some periods of time during the Crusades that Jerusalem was a focus. But for most of the time over the last 1,900 or 2,000 years, nobody really cared about Jerusalem. But you know, I suspect that if we counted the number of times that Jerusalem is in the global news, that you might even see it today that it's in the news more than any other particular city on the earth. In fact, this summer when our president uh, made the announcement that he was moving our embassy back to uh, the city of Jerusalem, there was a terrific uproar. And you would think, what's the big deal? We're just moving our embassy from one city to the next. But Jerusalem is a center of tension and focus, and it will continue to be. And it's a sign that we need to take notice of. It wasn't that way a few hundred years ago. And just to mention one more, and I won't say much about it, but the scripture is clear that there's going to be a rebuilding of a temple in Jerusalem. And as you know, uh, the Dome of the Rock, which is a very sacred place for the Muslim people, sits right on the place where the temple is supposed to be rebuilt. And you ask, well, how is that going to happen? I don't know how that's going to happen. I know this, that some say that material is already being uh, collected and that Jewish leaders are already planning for how this is going to uh, take place. But obviously the Lord will have to move and uh, create the situation for that temple to be rebuilt. That's a sign, that's an event. That's an event that we can be uh, on the notice for. Okay, so now let's just talk for a few minutes about some trends. And that, that's a passage that I read in, in uh, Matthew and, and Luke. They gave us several things. In fact, there are 12 negative trends that Jesus mentions. Nine of them are in that passage in Matthew. And Luke adds three more in chapter 21, okay? 
And uh, just, to, just to mention them, the trends include deception by false Christs and prophets, ethnic conflict, verse 7, economic warfare, that was in verse 7, famines, pestilences, earthquakes, that's in verse 8, hatred of believers, verse 9, relational breakdown in society, which is hatred between people and people groups, verse 10, lawlessness or an increase in sin and rebellion, verse 12, and then Luke adds fearful sights, Luke 21, 11, great signs in the sky affecting the sun, the moon, and the stars, and disturbances in the sea. So those are 12 negative, negative trends. And, and, you know, some of these have always existed. You know, we've always had earthquakes. We've always had famines. We've always had pestilences. But Jesus really wasn't talking about the normal things that have happened over the, the, the past uh, centuries, okay? He's drawing our attention to the things that uh, are going to be happening and increasing as the end of the age uh, draws closer to us, okay? And if you watch the nightly news, um, you quickly get the idea that famine, earthquakes, lawlessness, hatred, relational breakdown are much of what the news is made up of. We hear it on a global scale every day. In fact, even on a local scale, sometimes when I watch the local news, I tell my wife, I said, I'm listening to the crime report because it seems like that's all that's reported, one crime after another. Well, the distinctiveness of those events will be very obvious, to, should be obvious to those who are watching and alert as we, as we draw closer to the end of the age. One more negative trend that I'm going to uh, just highlight is that in the book of Revelation, um, there's a reference to the harlot Babylon. And my understanding of the harlot Babylon is, is, is that it's a system of government that's based on deception, okay? There is no true peace apart from, from Jesus. But today, more than any other time in my lifetime, we see sin being considered as right and we see righteousness being considered as wrong. And um, I believe that is part of the preparation that the world and, and, and maybe even our culture is going through to uh, that Satan is working to try to prepare uh, for the rise of the Antichrist. So as we, as we see this resistance to biblical truth and as it increases, um, we'll know, we'll know that our confidence has to be in the Lord. We'll know that what we're looking for is biblical truth. And if it doesn't line up with the truth of the Bible, then we know it's false. The moral issues that are being taught in compromise to truth today are blatant and they're a danger if we don't resist them boldly 
and if we don't resist them boldly in love. And I want to emphasize in love because, you know, um, we love those who are unsaved and we have compassion for those who have been deceived and drawn away from what the truth really is. And what we need to do is relate to them in respect and in compassion. And we need to be loving enough to speak truth, even when it may not be what they want to hear, but we need to do it in love. That's what the, and it takes the Holy Spirit in our life, working in our life and in our heart to do that. So uh, ask the Holy Spirit for that. Okay, now I want to mention a few positive trends, okay? And perhaps the one that's most familiar to us is the one I believe uh, it was briefly mentioned last Sunday in Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. And then the end will come. There are around 12,000 people groups uh, in the world and, and as we heard last week, many leading mission organizations predict that by the year 2020, some say 2025, that every people group in the world will have a witness to the gospel. There's over 2,000 translations today uh, in people's native languages, giving them the truth of the gospel. And so for the first time in history, never before in the history of the earth, have all the peoples of the earth had the opportunity to hear the truth of who Jesus is. Now, that's God's plan. And Jesus was very clear. Everyone is going to hear before the end comes. In fact, he says it this way. So all the nations will hear it, and then the end will come. So... We can rejoice in that. We can rejoice that the entire earth, we're, we're reaching that point in the next very short time when the entire earth has had the opportunity to hear the gospel of the Lord. One of the trends that you might not be as familiar with is the fulfillment of scripture that foretells a great increase in prayer and worship globally. You know, Jesus reminded the Pharisees that his house would be called, his, his place of worship would be called a house of prayer. And many scriptures refer to that, but there's a passage in Isaiah 62, verse 6. It says, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Take no rest all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. You know, there, at one point in my life, I would have read that scripture, and I would just sort of read over it, and I probably wouldn't have really thought much about it. I didn't maybe understood what he was talking about. It sounded good, but what does it mean? Well, it, it really means that... Um, Take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord, until he completes his work, till he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. We're called to do that as a church. We're called to intercede. Uh, we're called to intercede for the nation of Israel, too, and for the city of Jerusalem. So only a, a, a few years ago, maybe a couple of decades ago, there were just a handful of ministries worldwide 
that would, des that would say that their primary function in ministry was to be an intercessory prayer ministry. Well, in the matter of the last 20 or 25 years, there are some estimates that today there are 20 to 25,000 ministries worldwide that have designated as their primary call to ministry, interceding and praying for the nations and for the purpose of God. We should take notice of this, okay? Because that's not, that's not man's doing. No man has done that. God is doing that to prepare his church for his return, okay? One more, and this ought to be an encouragement to us because we're a part of the AG Fellowship and um, Scripture tells us that at the end of the age there's going to be an increase in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Did you know in 1920, and many of you may already know these statistics, in 1920 there were about a million people who were a part of the Pentecostal and charismatic uh, body of Christ. In 1970, 50 years later, there were about 60 million people a part of that. And today, 2018, I, I believe the estimates are around 600 million, 600 million people. People who receive the Holy Spirit, who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and who ask the Holy Spirit to, to work in their life. This is a sign to us. This should, this should encourage us, especially since we have been a part of, of that body of believers. And then I'm getting close to winding this up, but I want to mention this one more thing and from the book of Daniel. Daniel's a great book, by the way. It's a great book that has much to say about the end of the age and about what the Lord is, about what the Lord is doing. But in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, and you know, Daniel's sort of split up into two major parts. The first six chapters deal with Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and, and all of those stories that, that we heard growing up in Sunday school about Daniel and the lion's den and so forth. The last six chapters really deal with the end of the age and the, uh, many of the things that must take place and will take place. It's a great, it's a great book to, to add to your study list. But in, Dan in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, it says, Daniel, shut up the words. Seal the book until the time of the end. Until the time of the end. That gets our focus. That's what we're talking about today. When many shall run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. And we can interpret that many shall run to and fro. People moving about. People moving about the earth. And as you know, today, uh, People travel all over the earth every day. You can get on an airplane and be on the other side of the earth in a matter of hours. It's interesting that Daniel, that was 2,500 years ago, he made this, he was given this prophetic word. Up until this time, you know, for, for most of that time, the, the, the main mode of transportation was what? Camels and horses. And then uh, uh, ship, wind power. And you know, about 120 years ago, when my grandmother was born, cars were a new invention. They were fairly new at that time. Well, all that's changed. And um, 
It's an interesting thing to consider. It's an interesting thing to think about. And then he also adds, and knowledge shall increase. And, you know, the internet um, really came on the scene. The World Wide Web came on the scene, I believe, in the, in the early 90s. Some scientists and good resources say that knowledge is doubling every two years. That's an amazing statistic. And some, some people, as they consider the end of the age, they would also interpret that to mean that our knowledge of the end of the age will increase. And I think both of those are true. I think there's a, there's a general knowledge that's increasing, doubling every two years. There's also a knowledge of the events of the end of the age that's increasing. So the Lord wants the church watching for his return. Do you know that what we watch, we talk about? You know, if you're a person that enjoys soccer or football or golf, quite often that's what we're going to be talking about. In the same way, if we're a person that's on the watch looking for the return of Jesus, it's more likely that we're going to be talking about it, especially among ourselves and, and hopefully with our friends and hopefully with our unsafe friends, because this is a reality. This is the truth. A man coming back to this earth. It's the truth. And so we want to talk about it. It gives us encouragement. It gives us hope. You know, it's God. God's the one that's preparing uh, the nations for, for Jesus' return. And you know how he's doing it? He's raising up a generation that's passionate and dedicated to living lives that are obedient and bold in their agreement with him. You know, that's happening all over the world. Sometimes we look on our own little local situation and we say, I can't see much happening. But across the world, there's a generation of young people being raised up right now that are passionate about the Lord, committing themselves to the purposes of the Lord. You know, uh, organizations like Every Home for Christ, Youth with a Mission, just to name two, are making prayer a central part of their ministry because their leadership understands how important it is to agree with the Lord and to release the purposes and the plans that he has. So, so how do we prepare? You know, as the confrontation between the kingdoms of light and dark increases, every person on earth is going to be affected in some way. And this is the take-home message. I, this really is what I want you to take home today, okay? To prepare for that, we return to the first commandment. We know what the first commandment is, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does that mean? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with, with your emotions, with your inner being, to love him with your soul. That's who you are. That's, that's your inner being, actually. To love him with your mind, what you think about, what you set your mind to do. And then love him with your strength. And strength really refers to your resources. How do you invest your resources? Love him with all of those things, and you're going to be prepared to, to meet him. The second thing is buy gold, okay? And what is buying gold? That's just another way of saying what I just said, okay? 
No one can do it for you. Buying gold is putting your investment into eternal things, emphasizing the eternal things in your life over the temporal things. So we want to buy gold. And, and that happens when we pursue him with a, with a dedication. You know what it's called? It's called becoming a disciple. And if you're living a life of spiritual boredom right now, it's likely that you really don't see who this man Jesus really is. So, and we all go through seasons in our life. I've been through seasons of my life where I've been kind of spiritually dull. I might be spiritually bored. And when the Lord brings that to my attention, I say, God, would you just renew in me a spirit to see you for who you really are? And I will guarantee he will absolutely answer that prayer. He is faithful to do that. We don't want to be spiritually bored because he is a great God and we're looking forward to his ruling here. And we don't want to regret, we don't want to have any re regrets on the day of his coming either. I share this with our small group quite often too. The, the saddest thing I can think of is standing before the Lord and the Lord saying, Ron, I would have given you so much more if you would have just asked me. If you would have just come to me and asked me, I would have given you more. That's regret. I don't want to live with regret as I stand before the Lord. You know, he wants our relationship. He doesn't want us to suffer loss because there will be some, even in the church, Scripture is clear on this, that because their emphasis was not on, um, because their life was dominated by treasure, you know, on the earth, and they didn't, they didn't realize the importance of their investment in eternity, that, you know, we can suffer loss. Our reward will not be as great. He is, um, there's a phrase in here that I think I had. He is contending for your greatness in the eternal age. That's what he wants. He wants your maturity. Jesus wants our maturity. He wants us to be great in the eternal age. His return really is the big event. It's the big event. And we're preparing for it right now. And the cross secures it. And his return fulfills what his promises are. I'd like to call up the worship team. We're going to wrap this up. Um, and I'd just like to say, um, <clears throat> if there are anybody, if anybody's here today that, you know, you, you've never really set your heart on following the Lord, come forward and someone will come up and pray with you. You don't have to wait. It's, it's, it's not... Uh, not anything you have to, to be fearful about. If you'd like prayer for increased insight, if you'd like prayer for uh, an increased insight into uh, the, what the Word's telling us about the end of the age, come up. If you want greater confidence, if you want to be uh, lack, if, if you're feeling fearful about anything, come up, we'll pray. And, and the Lord is faithful. Because we're living on the precipice of another age. 
Well, Jesus will return to establish his kingdom on the earth through his millennial reign. And we're going to experience his glory. We're going to walk victoriously. Go ahead, Quint. And um, something that we can look forward to. So I want to pray for us right now as Quint leads us. We're going to stand as we uh, close this today. We're going to sing Jesus be the center of our hearts. Okay, Father God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that our confidence is in you. It's not in what we do. It's not in what we have. It's not in our reputation, Lord. It's in you. Father, thank you that your word has given us so much. And Lord, would you stir us up to go hard after your word, to study it. Lord, we want to know your desire for us. We want to know. We want to be alert. We want to be watching for you. So Father, thank you. Thank you that we can be place our confidence in all of who you are and in your son Jesus. Just ask these things in your name. Just pause for a few minutes as we close with this um, focus on who the Lord is. He's the center of our church.
Pastor Michael and Pastor Daniel are over here. I'll be there. We can pray for you. Anything that you want prayer for today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Go in the name of Jesus and the victory of who he is.